The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Monday. A warm welcome to Squawkbox. We have a rejuvenated Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Deutsche Bank exits global equities trading and slashes 18,000 jobs in a sweeping overhaul aimed at returning the bank to profitability. A German lender's CFO telling CNBC this round of restructuring will be its last. We are very confident this is the final restructuring for, for this organization. That's absolutely how we approach this, this next phase in our, in our restructuring, and we're determined for it to be the last. Chinese stocks uh, with the Shanghai Composite down 2.5%, leading losses in Asia as investors dial back expectations for a Fed rate cut following a strong U.S. jobs report. As stimulus bets grow here in Europe, the Bank of France governor hints that the ECB could act at its next meeting. If we speak about monetary policy, we have several governing councils to come in the next month, including with Mario Draghi. And if and when needed, there must be no doubt about our determination to act and our capacity to act. Greece's centre-right New Democracy Party wins a resounding election victory as Prime Minister-elect Kyriakos Mitsotakis tells CNBC he's ready to deliver change. And I feel that I have a strong mandate to deliver uh, on my uh, agenda, which is an agenda to grow the economy, to create uh, uh, more jobs, but also to make sure that the Greek people uh, feel safe again. Interesting looking at uh, the situation in global banking. And we'll get to the huge story in a few moments' time surrounding um, Deutsche Bank, of course, which we've been covering extensively. But we now have uh, confirmation that Bernhard Hodler, who is not a long-term CEO over at Julius Baer, who basically um, was in the job just over a year after the former CEO of Julius Baer, Boris Kaladi, uh, left to join another Swiss venture. But Hodler is now stepping down. Uh, as of the end of next month, 31st of August. Um, they're in the meantime saying uh, the first half results will be presented as planned by the CEO, Hodler, on the 22nd of July. But they have found a replacement. It is Philip Rickenbacker. Uh, Board of Directors has appointed Philip Rickenbacker as the new CEO as of the 1st of September. There were reports about the group looking um, for a successor uh, to Hodler. Um, there was a new CEO came, a big new chairman came in, Romeo Lacker, and held uh, various discussions. And uh, it looks like uh, Mr. Hodler, who's only been in the job, I think about 16 months, um, has decided to step down. And hence, they were looking for new conviction and new leadership over at this group. Good morning to you. Good very morning. nice to see you. Nice looking very you. well. Thank you very much. Nice to be back. It does read as though uh, Hodler was a very quick fix uh, replacement when Kaladi unexpectedly resigned. So they sort of put him, propelled him into the position. And now after about you know a year of looking at whether his performance was exactly what they wanted, they decided, well, let's just bring out succession planning. That's not a term you often see used unless someone's been in the, the role for a quite 
about a number of years, not a year later you start succession planning. You're talking about you know long-term leadership of the business. So it sounds like they did not have the right person for the job. Maybe it just underlines the, the big story we're going to get to after you've had a quick look at the markets, that, that there are huge problems in European banks. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, these shares have underwhelmed in the last 12 months. They are 30%, don't get me wrong, year-to-date they're 30% higher. But the journey before that is quite extraordinary. The high of the, uh, in fact, high exactly one year ago, 10th of July, was 60 Swiss francs. And as you can see, the last print we have uh, on this company is around about 45. They are bang in the middle of their 12-month trading range. Anyway, we'll get to our huge banking story in a few moments' time. That is, of course, surrounding uh, Deutsche Bank. In the meantime, an underperformance from markets. And and this is a wonderful situation, which I always find quite confusing from a human point of view, but totally understand from a market point of view, is if you create more jobs, markets sometimes get very upset about it. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And I think a lot of investors are trying to work out whether we have a stronger or weaker economy at this point that justifies a rate cut and just whether they should be bets going into equities at this point or chasing something a little bit safer like sovereign bonds where you've seen yields continue to mark lower. So investors got a a number that they didn't know how to digest on the Friday trading session. This was around the US non-farm payrolls report that showed 224,000 jobs created in the month of June. That was much higher than the 160,000 roughly headline that many had expected. Also a little bit too hot perhaps to justify a series of rate cuts despite pressure from the Oval Office. So Wall Street Friday session, you could see pulling back uh, only slight uh, declines percentage-wise if you look at the extent of it, but a tenth uh, plus on the Dow, a little bit more on the S&P, almost two tenths. But uh, it was a retreat and breaking uh, a winning streak that you've seen five-day winning streak for the S&P was broken as a result. The market uh, area that outperformed was small caps. Russell 2000 actually still showed a little bit of risk appetite uh, in session. When it comes to the, the sectors of market, I think that's quite important. Those are still playing the market are looking for components to pick up. Now, healthcare was one of the real laggards in the market. Consumer discretionary, though, saw a fresh record close. So that may be a bet still around interest rates to an extent. And if you look around for the, the leadership over the course of the week. It was still in the tech-heavy sector. Communication services was a leader for the week, posting its best week in three months, suggesting there is still some appetite for yield. This week, all eyes on the Fed, though, when Powell will begin a two-day testimony midweek on Wednesday. So that will be the next signalling function for markets around interest rates. But in the meantime, yields continue to move low. And we'll take a look at the US yields as we start out the week. We've been lower across the board. The two, the fives and the sevens all uh, have been uh, moving in a direction where investors have been questioning how much more safety that you can chase out there. The 10 years still hovering around that 2% mark. The Asian markets, uh, let's take a quick look at how we're trading in the red right across the board. Uh, 1% down for Australia. Steeper falls for the Chinese markets. Uh, Shenzhen down 2.6. Uh, big, de- a decent de- retreat for the Shanghai Composite. And uh, Japanese stocks also uh, suffering a setback. 200 plus points to the downside. Just over 1%. Uh, core machinery orders there in Japan fell 7.8% month on month versus the fall of 4.7% forecast. Again, telling a narrative about global trade being an issue for that economy. But uh, talks are back on, according to Cudlow. The latest is that we are watching uh, very closely negotiations taking place in back channels. But I think market optimism is still questionable around any trade deal coming soon between the US and China. When it comes to the opening calls, uh, an early look at how we're setting up across here in Europe. One of the big points for discussion is just how much the European profits are going to improve versus the US counterparts in the next few weeks. Watching that closely, but you can see negative tone across 
across the board. I think the market where we will focus on today will be in Germany. And what happens to Deutsche Bank? Zetradax trades down 38 points early on uh, signals on the opening calls. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about jobs created in the States. Does that mean the markets go down? Will jobs cut in Germany? Does that mean the market for an individual stock goes up? It has done on hopes of a big deal. This is Deutsche Bank we're talking about, of course. It says it will exit its global equities business and slash 18,000 jobs in what they've called, quote, the most fundamental transformation in decades. Annette is outside Deutsche Bank's headquarters in Frankfurt. Annette, you have so many things to say. I have so many things to ask you as well. But I, I want to applaud you on your interview with James von Moltke, first of all, the CFO. And I know we're going to get to that in a few moments' time. But I'm shocked by his uh, resolution and his confidence in many ways that this is the final restructuring for a bank which one year ago raised $8 billion in capital, uh, five years ago raised $8.5 billion in capital, uh, $10.2 billion was raised eight years ago. Uh, they created a bad bank in 2012 of 125 billion euros in it. I'm just amazed that Mr. von Molka can say this is the final time, given the history in recent times. Good morning to you. Well, good morning to you, Steve, as well. Well, it is, um, yeah, to be fair, the management team is pretty new. They are there since almost a little bit more than a year. And what they've done so far last year, they have tried to sort of trim the bank in a direction which could work. But then essentially they they realized that this is not enough to make that bank really profitable in the long term. And also the markets, like what other banks also experience, the markets are against like big investment banks um, in the current scenario. So going forward, the bank is now saying, or the Dodge Bank is saying they have to really be very bold in order to convince investors and the market that their equity story is actually working. And that is why they came up with that big restructuring. It is actually, to be fair, the biggest restructuring of the bank since many decades. Some are even arguing it's the biggest change of Deutsche Bank ever since they went big uh, on Wall Street in the 90s with like buying bankers' trust and really expanding into investment banks. Banking. So for now, what we are hearing from the bank, it's more like a midterm, uh, yeah, midterm strategy. Uh, also, um, the target is to be have a return on tangible equity of eight percent by 2022 and cost income ratio of 70 percent by 2022. So the plan sounds really compelling. The thing is, it has a lot of execution risk and it has a lot of risks which could actually hamper their strategy. They want to do it on a standard loan base. They don't want to have another capital raise, but they are also saying they intend to do so. So it is still a very risky affair the bank is actually running, but still um, they are trying to be bold. As I was saying, um, I caught up with the CFO James von Molke yesterday evening here in Frankfurt and asked him, as you were saying, whether this is the last round of restructuring we are getting from the bank and whether they, he can reassure investors that this is it. This is like the plan which is going to work now. Take a listen. One of the reasons we looked at this as a very fundamental restructuring is we were aware we needed to put paid to any further speculation that there's additional restructuring to come. And so we, we are very confident this is the final restructuring for, for this organization. Um, we're looking forward, frankly, to having um, that behind us and focus on our core business going forward. Hence, the ambition, frankly, of the restructuring. Um, you mentioned um, you know, goals and, and, and objectives that Deutsche Bank Management has has publicized in the past and not necessarily always met. 
that's something that Christian and I, I think, in the management board has been very aware of. And as you've seen over the past year or so, we've been quite deliberately trying to set near-term goals that we could hit, deliver on our promises, and build from there. Um, that's absolutely how we approach this this next phase in our in our restructuring, and we're determined for it to be the last. Let's look at some of the highlights. One highlight is the 18,000 jobs, which are bound to go until 2022, right? Um, where will those job cuts be primarily focused on? Will it be just hitting the investment bank? First of all, those job cuts are painful um, for us all. They're unfortunately a necessary byproduct of the of the reorientation of the organization. Geographically, it's re actually relatively broadly spread. Um, of course, there's some in Germany, particularly associated with the integration of the private bank. Um, those are plans that have been underway for some time. Um, and of course, in the restructuring or, or realignment of our investment bank, there'll be significant cuts there as well principally falling, of course, in equity sales and trading, where the announcement is that we are going to exit entirely, um, but also to some degree in the, in the FIC organization. Uh, let's look at what it means for the U.S. investment bank. Well, because there are so many reports that literally nobody's working anymore, and uh, especially in the U.S. investment bank. So how much will be left from, for, from that unit? Look, we understand that the, that the speculation about what was going to happen um, clearly will have had some impact on morale and, and, and engagement, both of employees and, frankly, clients. We've always said, though, that we're, we're not exiting the United States. We've been consistent in that messaging. And with the announcements today, we remain consistent with that messaging. Of course, the global announcements around equities and, of course, the rates franchise as well will impact our, our franchise and, and operations in the U.S. But we remain a very significant dollar clearing organization. Um, um, GTB, if you like, corporate services um, will remain an investment bank providing corporate finance um, as well as a, a targeted equity capital markets capability globally. Um, so it's not a retreat from the United States at all. So part of that plan is also not to pay any dividend, which is quite logical given the, the sheer size of the restructuring. Um, from 2022 onwards, they're planning on giving back uh, 5 billion euros in capitals through share buybacks, but also dividend payments to investors if the plan is going according to their strategy, one has to say. As I was saying, also the economic downturn is one factor which could affect the strategy. They are saying that they're factoring in a very low interest rate environment, which has changed since last year by the ECB. So that's already baked into that plan. But yeah, there can happen so much as to uh, to that strategy still, because it's like a midterm thing. As I was saying, it's not that they're promising us something to happen by next year. But as it stands now, it looks like, as I was saying before, the most substantial restructuring we have heard from the bank since decades. And also their plan to exit the loss-making equity sales and trading business is a very positive step. And it remains to be seen how investors are buying into it. The management team is uh, today is in London to meet with investors to give, convince them about their plans going forward for the bank and hopefully or put, hopefully for them also to push the share price again higher from that levels we are currently experiencing. With that, back to you. Annette, uh, I want to get into what type of bank is left because Goldman, the, uh, the bank that we knew was like a Goldman Sachs challenger, was a, a European bank that competed with its U.S. peers, but it feels like with this restructuring, we were saying goodbye to the Goldman Sachs of Europe. How different are the characteristics going to be for Deutsche Bank now? 
They're saying they want to be a leading German investment bank also and also a leading European bank in that respect. They want to go back to their roots. So Deutsche Bank is having its 150th anniversary next year. They were sort of um, a, a bank back like many, many years ago, which serviced the corp uh, German corporates across the world. And that's mainly what they want to be. I think it's uh, essentially it's goodbye to Wall Street. It's, it's, it's goodbye to like the global ambitions to really compete with the likes of City, JP Morgan. They will be concentrating on the home turf and, and just uh, deliver all the services needed to the German and also European corporate uh, um, yeah, segment to, to facilitate them to make business all over the world. That's mainly what they are aiming for, but no longer Wall Street, I guess. But that back to you. Annette, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, part of me wonders whether we would be in this position if there were not uh, a global trade war unfolding. Because if you look at the fees in the first quarter for all of the major investment banks, they've effectively been falling because they're just not booking as many deals. Mm. And if you look at the numbers from Deutsche itself, very, very weak numbers. Uh, I think they took about six spot in the equities business as the fees declined. Uh, but, you know, you've got a bank that's already been in a very difficult position since the financial crisis. You keep piling more and more pressure on top of it, everything that's come before from legal fees, you know, lawsuits that have cropped up to very weak banking conditions in Europe, and then on top of that, uh, an international trade war that's been playing out. Is it just the final straw that meant the, the bank couldn't continue in its current form? Um, possibly. Yeah, I think I think the rot set in a long time before that. I think, you know, I mean, I've just looked at the share price history of this company over the last 12 years, 107 euros, perhaps even a tad higher, April 2007, um, 55 euros, 1st of April 2010, uh, even, you know, 15, uh, 2015, 31 euros, you now got a seven euro stock. One thing that it's very clear is when you gut a company and you take away its unique selling proposition and promise a new unique selling proposition going forward, you have this vacuum period. So we know what Deutsche Bank isn't going to be now. It's not going to facilitate those transatlantic equity deals uh, and those big corporate uh, support mechanisms anymore. It's, as um, Annette was saying, it's going to be focused on providing finance for those German corporates, providing a domestic position as well. But we don't know how that's going to go. And we, we're told this could take many years in order to create that proposition, but we know what they're not going to be anymore. So the chances of the shares getting back to anywhere near those past glories, well, forget it. For all those people like Cerberus and Hudson and the Qataris and all those people who've got the shares, yes, there will be a Philip. Yes, there has been a Philip from this mm. on hopes of a restructuring. They're well off their recent lows uh, of uh, 690. Well, actually, you know, the low is even lower than that, I can tell you. Hang on, if I can just find it. It's something to read with significantly under seven anyway. But the fact remains um, that we don't know what it's going to be. So yes, you'll get the boost now. Now, but this is years of pain for this company. And uh, maybe payouts, though, 5 billion euros tipped to be returned to investors yeah, uh, through special dividends or share buybacks. That's, that's a long way off. Yeah. That's a long way 20, off. 2022. Would, would, and, and just on that point as well, wouldn't the situation be better if they rebuilt their capital before they started talking about special dividends as well? Because I know they're getting a little bit of a, a pass from the regulators to take their core tier one down a little bit before it goes up again. Surely the most important thing is repairing their capital so that people have confidence that when they say they've got a leverage ratio, it's attainable. When they say they've got a capital position, it's attainable and they don't end up in this mess again. That sounds like a long-term strategy. Coming up on the show, Friday's strong U.S. jobs report. Well, it's tempering bets for a Fed rate card. We're going to discuss this after the break.
And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshou, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back. Expectations for a July rate cut from the Federal Reserve have fallen after jobs data for the month of June comfortably beat expectations. The U.S. economy added 224,000 jobs, the best gain since January. The unemployment rate rose, though, uh, to 3.7% as labor force participation increased. That's a good thing, by the way. More people in the jobs market. Uh, average hourly earnings across the U.S. grew by 0.2%. That did miss expectations, though. A quick word from me. Um, the job creation growth on an average, but you have to look at you can't look at individual monthly figures. These are crazy. But average so far this year, 172,000 jobs created per month. Last year it was 223,000. So mm. on that basis, a significant lessening. But the Federal Reserve, which was raising rates over the last couple of years as well, what do you think the average job creation was in 2017? I can tell you the answer. It was 182,000 jobs created uh, per month in 2017. So the figure this year is not far away. Hmm. It's very similar to when the Fed was hiking. So for all of those people out there, and I know that you've all penciled in one, possibly two cuts this year on the back of the imploding US economy. Well, the good news is US economy isn't imploding and actually job creation so far this year is very similar to what it was when the Fed was hiking back in 2017. The other component, the stock market around record levels. I mean, how do you cut rates in that context, when you've got a very strong stock market, you could potentially set off more strength yet again because of a power put that would go into markets. So this week will be quite interesting, the, the two-day testimony, what he says, whether he's strong enough with his convictions around the strength of the job market to maintain that we're not going to get maybe well, a, a rate st- cut or a series of rate cuts. You're, you're right to try and um, the stock market. Let me just put in one more thing. And it's the trade deal as well. Mm. Does the market need a double dose of stimulus? Maybe it does. But if it gets a trade deal, if, and it's a very big ish, and there's lots of questions about that still. If the market were to get a trade deal and if the market were to get rate cuts as well, would that be too much stimulus for a market? Um, And again, add too much fuel to a a very strong rally, given the fact that valuations are slightly concerning. And then you're back in a hiking cycle. So where you get a cut from the the Fed, then you get a a rate hike from the Fed. It's not too much erratic action from a central bank where you're not typically seeing that course of action. And let's push on to another central bank. France's central bank governor has called on political leaders to reduce uncertainties, telling C we see that monetary policy cannot perform miracles. Speaking at a business summit in Aix-en-Provence, he blamed trade tensions for the growing worries. And Villeroy also addressed concerns over a slowing European economy. 
if we speak about monetary policy, we have several governing councils to come uh, in the next month, uh, including with Mario Draghi. Uh, and if and when needed, there must be no doubt about our determination to act and our capacity to act. I repeat, if and when needed. Yes, that's clear. I mean, you have the ECB, especially Mario Draghi, but you also have been repeating that. But looking at um, the current uh, set, uh, yeah, plan for QE or setup for QE, you really have to change things. Then, would you be ready to change? Uh, let, let, let me stress one thing: we look at the markets, but we are not market dependent. Uh, we are data dependent. And if we look at the economic signals, there is a continuing slowdown, but there are also significant wage increases, plus 2.5% in Q1 in the Eurozone, significant jobs creations on both sides of the Atlantic. So let us wait for our next governing councils, and there are several to come, to assess the data and then to decide. This is what I call, what I always called pragmatism. But would that mean that you will um, by any means wait um, for December because then you have the full new data set, the, the, the projections, or would you be... No, ready? no, no, no. As said, we have several governing councils to come. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.